and welcome to the Union Movement Podcast. My name is Brian Pugh and I am one of the founders of the Union. Uh, my wife, Bonnie, and I, we founded this organization just to help people find wholeness in the areas of sexuality, identity, and relationships with a gospel-centered and biblical approach. And so we are just so glad that you joined us here today. If you are a new listener, uh, we hope that today's conversation is life-giving to you and is equipping uh, in your journey as navigating sexuality, identity, and relationships. And we hope that today you sense the beauty of God's design for all of those areas. If you are a return listener, welcome back. We're so glad uh, you've decided to come back. <laughs> and uh, as always, we love it if you comment, subscribe, and share this podcast. If it's been helpful for you, if it's been equipping for you, uh, we'd love it if you share it wherever you could just to help get our message and really more importantly, God's message of his love for people and his, uh, his desire to restore what's been broken in our lives. Um, we'd love it if you just comment, subscribe, and share that wherever you can and help more people uh, experience that reality. Today is episode 65 and we are sitting down with our friend Ruth Erickson. Uh, Ruth is a wife, a mom, and a stepmom in a beautiful blended family and uh, is living proof of the redemptive love of Jesus. Uh, Ruth has an amazing heart for worship and loves to serve the church and, and help the church encounter the presence of God. Uh, through through praise and through wor through worship and through song, uh, but she has a real heart to offer hope and healing to women who are recovering from infidelity and trauma, and to equip the church to love these women as well. We are going to be discussing her book Unfaithful and how you can find healing after your husband's affair, whether your marriage survives or not. This is a very uh, very powerful conversation we have today with Ruth, and we understand that hey, this might be really heavy on your heart you might be walking through something um, that is just very very difficult and heart-wrenching and we just pray uh, that this conversation gives you some tools and some freedom to really begin to access that healing and that wholeness that God desires for you so without further ado here's our conversation with Ruth Erickson Well, Ruth, we're so grateful to have you with us here in this interview. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, we got to spend some time with Ruth in person. She's down in Idaho. The great state of Idaho. That's right. It is lovely. God's country. Uh, even though we're just above the, you know, just above the border in Canada, we got to spend some time together in person back in May. Mm -hmm. uh, and then also for those who maybe didn't hear her episode that we had her on last year, you can check out episode 43. We interviewed Ruth there, um, just sharing some of her personal story of overcoming, coming through just marital unfaithfulness and the heartache there, but then the redeeming power of God in her life that really um, is, I think, such a testimony to so many others of what God can do with a submitted heart. So, in saying that, Ruth, could you please give us a little bit um, of your story? Just like what, what went down? Yeah. Um, thank you so much for having me again. I just appreciate you guys and your ministry so much. Um, it's an honor. Um, so just my story in a nutshell, had a pretty um, ideal childhood and upbringing and um, sweet college romance um, with a man who checked off all my boxes um, a great Christian guy, a great reputation. We had, um, you know, our first uh, date, we were flirting with like scripture. We would like leave each other scripture notes. So just very much like um, I felt like I was really following everything that I could do to set myself up for a successful marriage, um, had real true love in my heart and felt like it was really reciprocal. And I believe that in that, at that phase, it really was. Um and fast forward a couple years, um, he had struggled off and on with um, pornography addiction. And we were working through that. Um, I felt like we had a fairly healthy relationship. Um, and I was feeling a distance growing in, in our sixth year of marriage, um, but just kind of attributed to we just had a second baby. We'd launched a business. Things were just getting busy, you know, um, but was was really brokenhearted when I found out that um, we went to our first counseling session and he let me know that he didn't love me anymore and didn't know if he had ever loved me. 
um, which at that time just really shattered my heart. Um, and then I was able to, through a series of events that I really feel like God, his timing was in it um, and prepared my heart to uncover an affair that he was having. Um, I felt the Lord ask me to wait for 90 days to not make any rash decisions, but to um, trust that God had my interest in mind, my children's interest in mind, my husband's interest in mind, um, and walked me through a very excruciating season of um, waiting and praying and weighing things out. And it was, it was like a roller coaster. Um, But at the end of that, um, I had a really incredible encounter with the Lord. Um, We discovered that, um, and and during that time, there was, there was some signs of possible repentance. And so that, I think that was part of the waiting was to just see and test. Um, And at the end was, was able to uncover more that, you know, more deception and, um, had an incredible supernatural amount of peace about the decision to, um, to file divorce and to uh, walk through a forgiveness and a rebuilding that was um, outside of that marriage. And it was not an easy decision by any means, but I really felt um, the leading and the peace of God to, um, to say goodbye to that covenant that was beautiful and holy and binding, uh, but that was broken by his infidelity and, um, so yeah, it was, um, the darkest time of my life, but also just, uh, you know, I, I just really feel like the faithfulness of God was the most evident in that season of my life where I was dealing with the unfaithfulness of my husband. Wow. Well, thanks for sharing that. Now tell us a little bit about, about your family now, because I think this yeah. is just such a beautiful a restorative aspect of, of your story. And we're going to get deeper into some of some of the things that you've learned through this process and your, this journey that you went on, but also your own study into this, but like, tell us how God uh, turned this around and brought another upstanding young man into your, <laughs> into your life. Yeah. I, um, I think it's always important for me to explain, like, I, I feel like my heart was, was healed and restored even before I met my current husband. Um, that like a remarriage isn't necessarily the like defining factor of being healed or restored. But I will say that um, the desire of my heart was to be a wife. Um, I just felt like it was a, it was a position that was a gift to me and I wanted to be a gift to someone else. And um, the Lord answered my prayer um, and I met my husband. He and I have a very similar uh, story from our first marriages. And um it was a it was a quicker uh, dating experience because we were older, both had children. Really, were um, we both really tested each other at the beginning? We really wanted to um, not play any games, and so we were trying to find out if there was anything that would disqualify either of us. We, you know, went into all the deep stuff right away. Like, how do you handle money? You know, what's your parenting style? Do you struggle with any addiction? And um, we were both very honest. Our on our first date, we asked each other what would your ex say is your worst trait? <laughs> and we're just really honest about, because we're just like, you know, if you're not yeah. it, I really don't have time to, um, to play around. And it was almost frightening how I, I would, you know, ask all these hard questions and he was just super honest and, mm. um, but just evidently a, a wonderful man of God and meeting his community um, where he had walked through his own fire and had just come out golden was such a, it gave me so much peace knowing that he had really been tested and um, was found faithful to the Lord. And so we uh, got remarried and we didn't, yeah, this was our second marriage, but Mm -hmm. um, we got married, um, took the kids on a a family moon to Florida and came back. And um, our oldest uh, at that point was diagnosed with type one diabetes and then later that month, I found out I was pregnant, which was a miracle because he had been told he couldn't have kids. So just wow. a lot of intensity in our first year. And um, it was really vulnerable for me to walk through another pregnancy, um, to walk through a medical crisis, feeling like, okay, we're getting tested really early on in this marriage. And um, But I just see the Lord through the whole thing, just knitting our hearts together and us being able to prove to each other. Um, what, what we were going to do in a storm or in a time of testing. Wow. Um, so just really kind of sunk those roots in really deep. And we've been 
married for almost seven years and oh, no, oh. for seven years. Oh, he's going to listen. He's going to make fun of me. Yes. Seven <laughs> and a half years. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So this is the longest I've been married. So that was a, that was a nice milestone so for us. But, um, yeah, God has just been faithful. Um, we serve at our church together. He's an elder and I'm on staff with worship and, um, yeah, just, just so grateful. We are just so grateful for each other and for the gift of our marriage and our family. Yeah. That's so good. So good. So obviously tonight, today, it's nighttime mm-hmm. while we're recording this. So yeah. but like we want to cover your new book, Unfaithful. And mm-hmm. I would love to know like what spurred you on to go down this journey of writing a book? Because I think for a lot of people to document a painful area of their life is like probably you have to relive that several times Mm -hmm. over. And I think for some people, it's just like, I don't ever want to do that again. I want to forget this. I want to move on. I want to heal, but I don't ever want to talk about it again. What was the fueling kind of fire in you to want to write a book about this? Yeah. I remember when I was in the middle of my waiting season, um, I met with a woman who had walked through something similar a few years back And I just was so struck. I'll never forget it. We were walking along the bluffs along the river. It was at sunset. And I just remembered feeling so encouraged by the life that I could tell she was living. Um, I could tell that her heart was healed and hearing her speak about her life and, and her God, you know, and just knowing this is going to be me. Like, I don't know when, I don't know how long this is going to take. I don't know what it's going to take to get there. I don't know if it's going to be just me or if it's going to be me and him. Um, But I just, it was such a deep hope that it planted in me. And I think I knew fairly early on um, that I wanted to be on the other side of this, filling those shoes that she was in at that time of, of giving me hope. I wanted to be able to give someone else hope. Um, First, I wanted to get the healing that she had, but I I really felt a calling to, to, to be that beacon for someone else. And I have always been a very compassionate person and, um, you know, the, the gift of mercy of just really running towards hurting things and, and hard things. Um, and so I feel like I've always been drawn to death. I've been drawn to birth. So I've, you know, I've been at people's bedsides, you know, singing over them as they passed. I've been with mothers at the, you know, the fire of, of, you know, birthing a baby, it's so intense. Um, and I just feel like these are holy places and I felt called to those places. And so walking through my own pain, um, and it may sound a little odd, but it, it really was, I felt like I was born for this and I was born to carry this and not that God did this to me, but he has an opportunity here. I just was reading something that, you know, God turns our mourning into dancing. He doesn't necessarily replace our mourning with mm-hmm. dancing. That's not the verbiage there. And yeah. I don't know the original language. So, but it just, it was significant to me that I felt like he was turning this into something. And mm. I just remember feeling like I was in a dark cave, but I'm just chiseling away and I'm going to find gems here and I want to mm. share them. And, um, and I felt like I was going to write this book fairly early on in my healing journey. Um, but I didn't feel released or even um, able to engage that. Until uh, I think it was yeah, the beginning of 2021, I felt a real call and a very clear this it's now. Mm-hmm. Um, and looking back, you know, I've engaged with my story. I'm a I'm a verbal processor. I'm kind of an all-in feeler. Um, I'm not super like avoidant when it comes to my stuff. And so um, I, because I was processing and because there's so many women who walk through this, other women would come to me. And in walking them through their healing, it would touch those places of pain. And it was just another invitation for me to find a place that was a little tender and invite the Lord to heal that. Um, And so over time, it just became, um, it felt weird to call it a ministry at first because it was just me and people that I knew in my life. They, you know, they were my friends. And so I just felt like I was just being a friend to them, walking them through this. Um, But eventually it was women I didn't know um, and just such an honor. And, And then I you know, in, in feeling that call of God and then, you know, looking into um, kind of the book world and realizing I didn't, I couldn't find a book like this exactly when I was walking through that time. I found a couple books that were incredibly helpful to me that I referenced in the book, um, but not anything that was just first person. This was my experience and I'm going to walk beside you, but also not tell you what to do <laughs> because mm-hmm. I don't know what 
your story is going to look like, but I do know the God who wants to help you write it. So that's, that's kind of how I knew that, that it was, it was time to write the book. And I was so grateful that it was long enough that my heart was really healed. I could write it from a place of healing, but it wasn't so far that I couldn't remember. I was able to remember. Um, and I was grateful to have journaled a lot through that and blogged a lot through that. So I was able to pull writings that were very, very raw um, and in the moment into a place where I was healing. And um, so, yeah. Yeah. And I had the privilege and honor to read your book already. It's going to be launched officially November 4th. And I was blown away by, like you're saying, just how raw some parts of it felt, which I'm guessing were where you were pulling, mm-hmm. you know, uh, even some of the poetry, the poetic language you include. It, uh, it feels like it helped I could imagine it would help women go to that place of vulnerability, but then you coupled it with this like incredible, um, just like directing people to the word of God and to the spirit of God and to the anchor of the foundation Mm -hmm. rock of truth within Christ. And um, so I am, I'm really excited to, for this book to be released. Uh, it's the type of book that you you wish that there was no demand for, but unfortunately there really is. And uh, I'd love to share, or I'd love it if you could share uh, some one portion of the book that really stood out to me was when you started talking about marriage covenant. You talked about covenants in general and how covenant is, is a, a biblical word. It's a historical word. Uh, and you talk about, you know, even how marriage is this, symbol of a covenant between us and God and how um, adultery is just never what God wanted for anyone to uh, to commit or for anyone to experience the betrayal of it. Uh, anyway, could you just talk a little bit about, about covenant and about divorce and why divorce is sometimes necessary? And yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I was, I was grateful to have the opportunity to to go there because I I really feel like sometimes people can learn that I'm divorced and maybe feel threatened or feel like maybe I don't value marriage. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that people maybe do unconsciously, you know, if they don't understand the, the story, I think that's probably something I did unconsciously. I remember growing up, you know, my parents would say like, divorce is not an option. You know, it's not in our vocabulary. And um, that was very strong in my Christian upbringing. Um, and honestly, like what they meant was, you know, covenant breaking sin is not an option for me. Like that's what they were saying to themselves and to each other. Like I am here for life, you know? And when both people say that it's an absolute beautiful thing. And, um, so, but, but uncovering what, what covenant means throughout the Bible, um, was so eye-opening to me that God himself, you know, established covenant. And, and I I mentioned this in the book, but there are nine covenants that are in scripture and two of them are irrevocable. So his covenant with, um, with Abraham and Noah, God established a promise that there was no, um, there was no condition on. So he promises to bless the nations through Abraham's seed. He promises to Noah that he will never um, flood the earth again. These are promises that aren't like, if you do this, then I will do this. It's just a promise. But the other seven include conditions. And, um, you know, even the new covenant includes a condition. So God has issued this covenant in Jesus's blood. And we are invited to partake in that covenant and join in that covenant. And God is always faithful to keep his end. But we, we must enter into the covenant and we must keep covenant with him. Um, And, you know, it's the most beautiful thing because Jesus mediates his own covenant um, and makes it possible for us to be in covenant with God. Whereas we see throughout the old Testament, God would make covenant and his people would break it. Um, And to be faithful to his own justice and his own uh, nature, he had to like bless when there was obedience and meet out punishment when people were disobedient. And um, I know that's like not a very popular thing, but you know, 
in in Revelation, it says that on on Jesus's thigh is written faithful and true. And so he is faithful and he's also true to his word. And he says, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. And if you do this, this is what's going to happen. Um, And so the idea is that covenant is like a contract. And, you know, all these analogies aren't like perfect, but, Mm -hmm. you know, if there's a, if there's a contract and and two people enter into it, as long as the terms are kept, that is binding to both parties. But if one of them breaks contract and the other person is released from that contract. And um, I know that people don't like to see marriage as just a contract that feels like cold and business like language. But the truth is that um, that protection that's there is because God values marriage so highly. And, um, you know, learning that, okay, God himself issued a decree of divorce in Jeremiah because his people were unfaithful. That is such a clear tell that divorce itself is not a sin. It's a response to sin. Mm-hmm. And that um, covenant breaking sin causes the death, a, a tearing and an ending that um, that is real. And I say in the book, I believe that adultery murders a marriage. And I also believe we serve a God who has resurrection power. So when we, when we submit death to him, he's able to bring life out of it. And so I believe in restoration. I've seen marriages be restored when there's true repentance. Um, But I've also seen that there are times where it's, you know, it's time to bury the dead body. And I talk about divorce as being a death certificate that a grieving man or woman can file um, out of knowledge. What is acknowledged? Yes, exactly. And I mean, as you're talking about that, I think of the verse where it says God hates divorce. Yeah. Right. And I remember thinking like, wow, that's really judgmental God until I felt like the spirit of the Lord showed me like, I hate it for all the same reasons you do for all the same reason, everyone who experiences it, you know, the, Mm -hmm. because it is usually after incredible pain. Right. And in in this case, adultery or betrayal, or the, like you said, the breaking of those terms of the contract. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that God himself issued that to Israel was like the acknowledgement you broke, you broke Mm -hmm. our vows. And it's, yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, in your book, you talk about uh, if, so when, if say the, a spouse commits adultery, they're breaking the covenant. So now mm-hmm. you said, even if those two people were to stay committed to one another, they would actually have to renew covenant in order for the marriage to be whole again. Is that true? Did I say that right? How would you say that? Yeah, no, I think that that's accurate. And You know, I think sometimes people's verbiage, you know, they don't necessarily have to get remarried. They don't have to get divorced legally and remarried. But, um, and there were times in the Old Old Testament where his people would break covenant and God would choose to forgive and accept them back. And so I think um, what is clear in scripture is that the victim of that covenant breaking sin gets to decide if they want to remain or reestablish covenant. Um, and just again, similarly, like if, if we're in business together and you know, I'm providing you a service and you're agreeing to pay me and you don't pay me, I can still, I can still by my own decision, you know, decide to continue the work in hopes that you'll pay me, or I will take you at your word that you're going to make it, you know, so it's okay that people, um, make that decision to, to reestablish um, but it really, the the only judgment that's reserved in scripture is for the person who has um, abandoned, abused, and or has had adultery in those, um, in, in that covenant breaking way. The victim is free to stay or go. There's no command in scripture for them to go. There's no command for them to stay in those instances. And so um, it creates a lot of confusion. Honestly, it's it's a really difficult space for these victims to be in because um, that's a big choice. It's a heavy choice and you don't know either way what is ahead. And so that's where I just, my prayer is that, um, this book will be an invitation for people to connect with the heart of God because he knows and he guides so um, securely and faithfully. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. As I'm, as I'm listening to you, I just, I think you've done a really good job of kind of creating that tension. You know what I mean? That like, you're not saying, um, you know, essentially that like there's, there's no grounds for divorce yet. There are specific qualifications for it. And, and because I think this is, I just looking back and maybe church history, at least a little bit, there's, there has been this view of divorce is the sin, you know what I mean? Instead of like just being honest and vulnerable and saying, actually, no, it's the fruit of the sin. Um, Mm -hmm. We were just talking about this the other day and like how, like Jesus obviously gives the, the condition for divorce to be adultery and, um, and that, that breaking of covenant that way. But he also references Moses and says that he gave a certificate of divorce for the, because of the hardness of heart. And I think mm-hmm. there's two very clear qualifying parts. Like, yes, there's the action of adultery, but then there's also this unwillingness to turn. Um, mm-hmm. So what would you say maybe to someone who is like, they're in a relationship right now and they're trying to keep it together because yes, there, you know, there's maybe been adultery or we have, have another big question here for you in a minute, but just like there, maybe there's pornography in the marriage Mm -hmm. and they're, they're wanting to keep it together because they don't, they don't want to see divorce because they see divorce as a sin, but they're not recognizing the hardness of heart that could be in their spouse, this unwillingness to turn unwillingness to, to seek help, to seek uh, steps taken forward. What would you say to that person? Yeah, I, I would invite them to rest knowing that God will be with them one way or the other. And if they feel called to stay and to wait, I, I think that God really honors that. But I, I talk about motivation in the book too, that if I'm staying because I'm afraid of being alone or I'm afraid of the unknown. That's a different reason than feeling out of peace. I, I feel self-respect. I feel like my value isn't being tarnished in my own eyes. Like I'm staying because it's, it's a strong choice rather than, um, Oh, I'm, I'm unlovable. No one else is going to want me. You know, I, if, you know, I'm a single mom who's like all these, these fears, like if that's the reason why, or um, you, you even feel like you have to save this person. I think that those can be motivations that we need to check and weigh before the Lord. And the same way, divorcing needs to be done in a spirit. It's to be most blessed. It needs to be done in a spirit of, um, Lord, I've asked you. I am allowing you to speak into this. I feel peace. I'm committed to forgiveness um, because we're called to unconditional love, even if we're not in an unconditional covenant with a person. So sure. I feel obligated and really privileged to to be like Jesus and to offer my children's father unconditional love as a human being for the rest of my life. Um, and so that means choosing honor, choosing forgiveness, praying mm-hmm. for him, for his well-being, um, regardless of what he does or does not do. Now, I, I don't I did not feel like I was an unconditional covenant with him, which meant like he can do whatever he wants and I'm still going to show up and give him the privileges to my person my, my life, my body, all these things, like those are, those are privileges that we give each other in marriage and we promise each other. And once that's, that space is violated, you have the choice to, to say, yes, I'm going to com- continue to commit that to you, or um, I'm going to, you know, graciously say goodbye and honor your choice. I really felt like at the end of it, I was honoring his choice. His, his actions were telling me what he wanted. And I was saying, I accept your choices. Um, but I, again, I, I feel like, um, even with like unrepentant an unrepentant spouse, God might be speaking to that woman that to wait six more months and something could happen. Like God knows Mm -hmm. when there's that ember of hope that we may not be able to see, or he knows, okay, it looks like everything's going well, but it's all false. Like he talks about, um, Judah, you know, she, in falseness repented, but it wasn't real, you know? So God has experienced this too. And I think that that can bring us so much comfort knowing that he's been betrayed. He has been um, met with unfaithfulness and he's been met with um, false repentance. And so he knows, he knows all about it and um, Mm -hmm. empathizes with these women and men. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
That's powerful. I, uh, I love that you've made yourself available through this book, but then also just in your own personhood. I know you've said, you know, just people reach out to you and you're, you're just there for them. I just bless you in that, you know, may, may more and more voices raise up, rise up for the, the healing of broken hearts. Yeah. You know, uh, Brian mentioned, you know, that we have another question, kind of a heavy one. In even the ministry, the work we do, we find that we're getting more and more inquiries around the topic of pornography and the effect that that's having on marriages and relationships. And just wanted to hear your thoughts. You know, Jesus said, uh, if you lust after a woman, then you've committed adultery in your heart. What, where, where do you see, um, like we, we would say, you know, pornography of any kind within marriage is damaging, sinful, mm-hmm. based in lust. Like it's not leading to, to intimacy between a husband and wife. What do you see? Is it, is it grounds for divorce? Is it, uh, yeah. What do you see? Yeah. I think, um, I will humbly say that I don't claim to have a definitive answer on that. Um, I know that it's not faithfulness. And so to what level, to what degree is it unfaithfulness? I feel like, um, you know, we have to ask ourselves the question, kind of like what we were talking about earlier. Are, are we wanting to know how much unfaithfulness is acceptable before it becomes, before there's a punishment? Um, you know, like how much can I do before? And, and I, I don't want to minimize the um, component of, um, of addiction and stronghold and bondage. And I don't ever want to um, add to any shame that someone who's struggling with that has, but I do think we do ourselves a disservice to not take it so seriously. Mm-hmm. Like what would happen if we decided, yeah, let's take it so seriously that if I, if I look at pornography, my husband has the right to issue me a decree of divorce. What would that do? And I, I don't know. Um, I think sometimes as, as church leaders, we can feel like, well, then that would mean that half the people in our congregation have broken marriages. And I, I guess to that, I would ask, what if they do? What should we be doing about that? Like, I think we need to take it very seriously. We need to be offering um, preventative support, which is why I just value your guys' ministry so deeply because um, I know that this level of sexual brokenness started somewhere. And if it had been able to be addressed earlier, um, who knows what could have happened. And so much brokenness could have been avoided if truth and, um, and honesty and, and equipping happened early. Um, so it's, it's a huge uh, priority in my life for my children to teach them to practice faithfulness, like deeply and fully. Um, because, you know, in the same way that you can't kind of have an affair, you know, it's just like that we sometimes just really, we need lines and sometimes it just really, I think we know in our hearts and in our bodies when we're in sin and when we are sinning against each other. Um, and so I think it might actually do the church a, some good to, um, to take pornography use more seriously mm-hmm. in covenant. Um, I think that it, you know, if we could convince more people that, um, that that's really damaging and that's really bad and it has consequences. And uh, I think that wouldn't necessarily hurt us. And one thing I have said before is that Jesus didn't cook the numbers so that, you know, he could get more people on his side. Um, I think sometimes for, I don't believe it's ill-intended at all, but sometimes we can be, want the church to look so good that we just cover up things. Um, but again, Jesus is faithful and true. And so we can't be calling dead things alive mm-hmm. um, and, and faking life. I, that's not honoring to the God who created life and the God who created marriage. And um, I don't think it's an impossible standard for two people to be faithful to each other with their, their hearts and their thoughts and their bodies. I'm, I'm Absolutely. living it now. So I, I've lived both and I can just say that um, it is the best thing. God 
wants faithfulness for us because it is the best thing for us. It's so rich and, and whole. I just, I mean, I, I can't even get over how wonderful marriage is and um, how fruitful sexual health is in a marriage. Yeah, absolutely. I think something that comes to mind too, and then I think it's been pretty clear that over, you know, the last, you know, maybe 30, 30 years, maybe let's say there's been a lot of books that have been written like with good intention on the subject of pornography, like trying to bring, just bring awareness to it. But I think some of the fruit of, of this approach has actually been that minimizing. Like, it's almost like, Hey, everybody struggles with it. Like, Hey, like we're just trying to like, we're, we're not trying to shame people and we're just trying to bring awareness to it. But what ends up happening is you get that subtly in your perspective and it's not true. Actually, it's not every man's battle. It's not something that everybody is dealing with. And Mm -hmm. And I think we want to minimize the fear of the Lord when all through the New Testament, there is instruction and there is warning yeah. and some pretty strong stuff. Like we're on, we're on the other side of the cross and we have New Testament writers going, hey, like, don't be like Esau, who was sexually immoral and unholy. And he sought repentance and he couldn't find it, even though yeah. he was crying. He was really mm-hmm. emotionally broken and he could not find repentance because sin has the ability to harden your heart in a way. Right. And I think, I think sexual sin specifically has such a deep level of shame connected to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and a deep level of even connection in our personhood that it is like, um, I don't know how to say it, but like, it is like a surefire way to harden your heart. Like, yeah. I don't know how many times it takes. I don't know how much exposure it takes, but my goodness, I, I think it's, it's a surefire way. It is. I mean, Proverbs talks about it. it. It's playing with fire. Can mm-hmm. you load coals into your lap, burning coals into your lap and not be burned? Right? right. And so I think it is that, like, what are you doing? You know? And so, I mean, I want, it's like, you know, what thinking who might be listening to this? It could be wives mm-hmm. who are like, my, my husband is literally looking at porn all the time. I don't know what to do with this. Right. And then there, or there could be a husband or, or a wife listening to this thinking, I am looking at porn all the time. What do I do? How do I do this? And I would say, if you're, you know, maybe for that second group where you're like, I'm, I am looking at porn all the time. If you feel a twinge of repentance right now, conviction, like if you can like pause this conversation right now and get on your knees, like let the fear of the Lord. Right. If you feel, if you still can feel, do not move, like do, do not keep walking down the path you're on right now because the time could come that you won't be able to feel sorry anymore, you know? Um, and for the woman who, or maybe your husband is stuck in porn right now, but is trying and is repenting. I love Ruth, what you're saying about like the Lord is the one who can guide and help you make decisions about what to do and that we don't, we won't put shame mm-hmm. on the one who feels betrayed yeah. or the one who's been victimized. Yeah. So I think, uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, I just think uh, we do ourselves a disservice to not realize that God is very protective of his daughters and his sons, but there, there is, there is a, uh, you know, we, we ought to have that fear of the Lord to treat mm-hmm. each other. Well, he, he loves us so deeply. And when we hurt each other and violate each other for our self gratification, there is, there's no zero sum game. There's no getting away with it. Like there really isn't. And so um, like Bonnie said, I just invite all of us to ask the Lord, like show me in my own heart, you know, what, what wickedness needs to come out and be expunged. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think, you know, as I read through the new Testament, it's where there's talk about shunning, there's talk about goats, there's talk about branches being cut off and cast into the fire. You know, I think sometimes as Christians, we're just like, all the branches are going to stay on the tree. And yes, people get grafted in. It's a miracle. It's like to God be the glory, but also like there is, and I know that's talking about, you know, Gentiles and the Jews, and but but it, there's an implication there that says that, um, man, if we don't follow Jesus, 
it's not going to go well for us. And if we follow Jesus, there's so much life and blessing. And so it's not just a hell and brimstone thing, but um, I remember reading a book and it being um, this, this psychologist who is a Christian, his, he specialized in working with couples where there was adultery and he was so hard and firm saying like, you have to, you know, to a woman, you have to take a stand and fight for your dignity because it might be the only wake up call this man has as he's walking straight into hell. Like, so if you don't say enough, stop it now. Like if you don't have a strong boundary, you might be assisting him in numbing his conscience Mm -hmm. to the point where he's in, you know, has locked himself in a dungeon and he no longer has the key to get him out. And again, I'm not saying that there's hopeless situations, but like we have to be mindful that, um, the whole council of scripture shows us that sin has consequences and some of them are permanent. That's really good. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. I think we've seen stats increase like, and again, when it comes to pornography, I think we need to get back to the one question we had kind of tagged mm-hmm. onto this, but when it's come to pornography, it is actually always or for at least for a long time been spoken of. Um, that it's just a a man's issue, and that it's like mm-hmm. oh, it's always kind of referring to the wife is having to deal with her husband who's looking at porn. But we're actually seeing increasing numbers of women um, who are going to be willing and brave enough to be honest about what's going on in their life. Like we're seeing increasing numbers um, that way too, and I and I think the same goes for for men as well. Mm-hmm. That like you can be merciful and you can be patient and you can be kind without being a doormat. And like sometimes taking that hard stand, just like you're saying might be that positioning on the high ground to like Mm -hmm. when the floods come and the promises that, that this lifestyle makes fall short is actually going to give them a place to, to, to seek out and find safety. Right. Like if you just, if you just kind of like, um, that's what I'm looking for. Kind of like just should try to sugarcoat it or try to make it really smooth. And like, we're not going to have any hard boundaries mm-hmm. or accountability or confrontation. Then you're actually ushering that per- that person to a place of destruction. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that I just wanted to say that really quickly um, because I'm, I'm sure there's going to be men out here too, who are hearing this and that might be the story with, uh, well, with their wife, but I think in our initial question, we were just talking about like asking the right questions, right? Like not really how much, how much can we do and get away with? Like how much porn can I look at before it's like really unfaithful, but we should be asking, you know, um, how do we actually cultivate faithfulness in, in our marriage? And so um, what are some like maybe personal testimony for you or some wisdom that you would share with somebody who's like, yeah, I need to be, cultivating this, but also like couples who are saying we need to be cultivating a deeper level of faithfulness in our marriage. Yeah. I think um, even just like speaking from my personal experience that the more you practice faithfulness, the easier it gets and the more reward there is. So, you know, I, um, I remember early on in, in my first marriage you know, I never struggled with pornography, but I did struggle some with like, um, you know, just thinking, I wonder what it would have been like if I were married to this guy or, you know, it's like these little crushes that developed and I'm just like, Oh, what to do with this, you know, and realizing this is the seedbed of unfaithfulness. Like what's happening right now in my heart, this is a temptation and learning how to just shut it down quickly. Um, and then, you know, over time, just realizing that's not happening anymore. And I'm not saying, you know, temptation never comes, but there's just something about when you resist the devil, he really does flee. And um, there's something powerful about practicing that. And it's not just in what we do or say, but it's, it's in our, it's in our hearts and it's in our minds. Um, And so I encourage like one-on-one accountability, especially if you're um, newly married, like find someone that you can tell I am struggling with having these thoughts about this person, because the minute I would ever speak it out to my accountability partner, it was over. It was over for me. Then just like, you know, and then it's like, what was I, where, how did that, where did that even come from? You know, but safe people who are going to, you know, fight for um, your good, not, not even just, just for the marriage, but just for righteousness, you know? Mm. Um, 
And, and I can say that in the same way for, um, for my husband, I, I think I can speak on his behalf, you know, the struggles that he had as a young man, as he began to take ownership of himself and mastery of himself, like, yes, there there's work to do in this culture to make sure that, that there's no callousness that comes, but I can tell you, he does not struggle. Like, it's not like he's having to fight every single day to like, he just, you know, it's not a hunger that he has anymore because he has developed an appetite for his spouse only. Mm-hmm. And I've developed my appetite for my spouse only. And so in the same way where if you go off of sugar, you know, you have withdrawal, it's hard, but once you're off it, then you have sugar and it makes you sick, you know? So I feel like there's just hope in knowing that you can start exercising these faithfulness muscles, even at, at any point, but also to encourage parents, like you need to have these conversations with your kids from an early age. Um, like a little plug for the, the awkward, uh, do you guys have a, a video course and an ebook? Is that right? Yeah. Just a small ebook for now, but oh, yeah, so great. And I'm just so thankful because that really, like we need to learn as Christians, as part of our heritage is, I mean, it, it was what made Christians stand out in the first mm-hmm. century, like in the, in, in the first century church, these people were looked at as completely crazy because they were just having sex with their spouse. Like it was just mind blowing people, you know? So we, we think like the world's coming to an end. It's depraved. And I know it really is. It is dark out there, but man, we have the answer. And when you follow the Lord and his ways, like there's just, he, it is doable. I think that's what, that's what I'm trying to say is that it's like full faithfulness is actually possible. And it's actually normal. If you're a Christian, it's the normal thing. And again, I don't say that to shame anyone. It's just an invitation into full surrender to the Lord will yield faithfulness. Yeah, absolutely. That's so beautiful. I mean, I think that's one of the fruits of the spirit. Yeah. Spirit's work in our life is that we will become increasingly faithful. Yeah. And then it's an indication that that is his nature is that he Mm -hmm. is faithful. Mm -hmm. And so we, as we look at him, then we are inspired to be like him and to see that like it's the culmination of love. Yeah. Is to say, I will hold true to my commitments and to my word. And yeah, I love it. I love what you said too, about the mass gaining mastery over yourself, learning mm-hmm. what could be a weakness and say, Nope, you won't, you won't take me out. Right. And getting strong in that. I love it. I love it. Just maybe as we are finishing up our conversation here and for, um, you know, those who might be listening, who do feel like a, a recognition that their marriage has died mm-hmm. and that maybe the Lord is saying to them, like, it's time to release, like you said, to bury and to issue the death certificate. What, uh, what message of hope would you have for her or him? Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, my, my messaging in my book is for females, but I do recognize and know and love um, men who have walked through the same thing. And um, our hearts are unique as men and women, but, um, but God, like I said, understands that pain. Um, to that person, I would, I would just encourage you um, to, I think one of the hardest things about this kind of loss is that you don't just lose your future, but it does impact all the way back to the beginning of your love. And you feel like you have to give up everything because it's not like a spouse who's died where you, you feel comfortable cherishing all these memories together. That's what's expected of you. Um, It feels like there has to be just kind of this full rejection of your past because you're now saying you're rejecting a future with that person or you've been, you know, that future has been rejected for you. Um, But I just want to encourage you that, the Lord is just a master at being creative and, and bringing redemption and hope. I feel like he was, he led me to be able to keep the gold in all of those years. The love that I poured out was real and that that was unto the Lord and that he preserved that. And so, um, I just want to encourage anyone listening that it's possible to have so much healing that you can even look back at your memories and not feel disgust, shame, 
um, terror, rage, like, but to just feel like, oh, that was a really sweet day. I really loved that day without feeling longing and, you know, regret for the future and missing, but just there, there can just be wholeness in that part of your life. Like you don't have to lose all of it. Um, because I think that sometimes that's what's so, so unbearable is that you're not just losing this person that you love. You're not just losing a future with them, but you're, you don't even know if any of that was real. And so I just want to speak to your heart and say, if it was real for you, it was real. And the Lord sees and honors every ounce of love and honor and, um, and service that you've put into that marriage. Um, you know, I talk about it in the book as a child that my husband and I created. Our marriage was like a child. And so um, you don't have to despise the child. You don't have to despise the marriage. You don't have to despise the memories because that feels like such a betrayal of even your own self because that's part of you. That that marriage is a part of you. Um, and you don't have to bury that part of you. You can cherish that um, and hold that in your heart. And it's complicated. Um, it's not easy to understand or explain to people, but um, it is possible. And um, yeah, I just, you know, I, I say in the book, I lost him. I lost us, but I did not lose myself. And mm-hmm. it's possible to not lose yourself. You can um, in many ways, find yourself more whole and more um, your heart enlarged through this process. If you invite the Lord and just completely surrender every ounce of pain and hurt and anger um, and, and every choice that's in front of you to him. Ruth, that's so good. Just say amen. Totally. Um, man. So like your book launches here on November 4th, but you are taking pre-orders as we speak. Yeah. How can people pre-order their copy of unfaithful? Yeah. If you go to Ruth Erickson.com backslash shop, um, and my name is spelled R-U-T-H-F. So you'll probably put a link in there. We will make sure it's in the notes. Erickson has a C-K, yes. Um, and yeah, you can find me on um, Instagram at Ruth A. Erickson. Um, and you can find the link in my bio there as well. Awesome. Well, we'll make sure all those links get in the show notes. And we encourage everybody, um, get your copy of Unfaithful. And um, mm-hmm. Ruth, again, just thank you so much for making the time to come and join us here um, and thank you for your your courage and your humility and your vulnerability to to open up your journey um, for the benefit of other people. I just think that's just so beautiful, so powerful. So thanks again. Yeah, we're so we're so grateful for the work you're doing. Thank you. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for listening to the Union Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Please email us at podcast at theunionmovement.com. For more information, please visit our website, theunionmovement.com, or find us on Facebook and Instagram at The Union Movement.